Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 30th, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Happy New Year's Eve, Eve, buddy. Eve, Eve, yeah. See, I posted last week, I went out to, we always do a Christmas Eve dinner with my folks, right? Yeah. And uh, we couldn't do it this year because Laura had to work on Christmas Eve, so we pushed the day early, and then I lost track of time. So I posted a nice, beautiful picture of us outside the restaurant with Christmas Eve, Eve, and it turned out it was Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. <laughs> Which, basically, today is New Year's Eve, Eve, Eve for us, because we're recording it on a Thursday. Exactly, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we'll get there at some point. At some point, the new year will come, and we'll celebrate it. <laughs> now, I'm sure you're looking forward to 2017. You're not a... You're the the nor negative of the two of us, but you're always looking forward, right? Yeah, I, I definitely don't want to remember 2016. Yeah, so I was just going to say that was where I was going. It seems like everybody in the world just is ready to get rid of 2016, so. Yeah, yeah. So we need to look forward to something in 2017. <laughs> well, we can't look worse, right? Yeah, I don't think so. Gotta be pretty, pretty bad year. <laughs> All right, and uh, so in keeping with that theme, uh, James uh, Gill, I believe his name is, uh, writing on PokerUpdate.com, has posted a list of the seven things in poker that he hopes will go away in 2017. Not particularly as positive as we're trying to make it. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I guess it's addition by subtraction, right? Yeah, wishful thinking. And uh, so these are the list of things that he wants to see go away. Uh, Poker Stars rake and rewards changes. Televising to November 9. RAWA, which of course is the acronym for Restoration of American Wire Act. Uh, Unlimited re-entries. Player of the Year points for high roller tournaments. Extensive coverage of every online poker bill. And Rounders 2 rumors. So obviously (laughs) I know you don't agree with them on the last one. (laughs) You can't get enough of that stuff. But uh, what do we say about the rest of this list? Well... You know, um, one of the things that stu- uh, stuck out to me, we, we're always talking about the November 9 and always saying that, you know, has, has it run its course? Is it something that... And he's he's trying to change it in a way that... It's not that he really cares that it's televised, but he, he wants it to be more like maybe even like the WPT final table where it's the final six and yes, things of you know, the boring, everyone's folding until the small, you know, the small stack gets uh, a hand to play. Or, you know, so he, he was saying that it was pretty boring up until, you know, the final five or six. So change it to that. And, um, and, and I, I think everything needs to, to, uh, you know, evolve. Um, and in this case, yeah, maybe it evolves. I don't think the actual televising of November 9 needs to go away, but maybe there does need to be something else to spark a little more life into it. Well, here's my problem with that one, is that you don't get the pick who's in the November 9, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. 
So if you go back to the heyday of poker on TV when we had these poker superstars challenges and things like that where they handpicked people um, or poker after dark and you had you could pick villains and nice people and people's playing styles that would complement people that were talking. And themes, that, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, yeah. that helped make what we all should agree is a boring game to watch poker seem more exciting, right? Yeah. The problem with televising... Number nine is you, you have no control over who those nine folks are. So I would argue that if this year's November 9 were just nine of the wildest, craziest, most fun people ever to play the game of poker, this would not make his list, right? Right. It just happened to be a year that he and some other people thought was boring. So I don't know whether I – don't, I don't think you fix what he's talking about by just not televising it or cutting it down to six people or like that. It's – this is the problem with poker on TV is you, unless you do some kind of invitational where you can control the people that you're watching, it's the, the luck of the draw. Or you just go old school and don't show it live anymore and edit it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be in favor of that. I know I don't watch it live. I watch a little bit live this year. Um, but I know there are a lot of people out there that actually like to watch it live and treat it like a sports event. And I would say there's probably too much of that out there. But if there's going to be one final table that's broadcast live the entire year, it should be this one, shouldn't it? If there's going Let's to be leave one. leave that for the folks that like that kind of viewing. Right. Then there's no way to change it. Exactly. That's the th- right. You're exactly right. I mean, there's no way to do what he wants to do unless he wants it to not be live. I mean, because that's really the only way you're going to make guarantee that it could be, okay, just the big hands, just the exciting stuff, just the stuff we can learn from or whatever. Um <laughs> But I, I would well, argue that it's selfish too, right? I mean, yeah, I think so. He could do what he wants to do on his own, right? Yeah. He could set his DVR and wait for somebody on Twitter to say, "Hey, it's down to six and then and he doesn't even do the DVR. Uh, just wait till somebody tells him it's down to six and then turn it on and watch the final six. <laughs> so he's asking all those people that want to see nine, seven, and eight play not to play because he doesn't want. It. That's my problem. How dare a columnist write about what he wants <laughs> in an opinion piece about his wishes for 2017? All right, all right. I know what you're saying. But, but that's what I'm saying. So if, you know, if you're changing something, just when you can personally control what you don't like about it, then personally control what you don't like about it. Yeah. Just leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that he brought up the point so we can all have this conversation, but, you know. Um, the, the Rawa... Restoration yes. of America's Wire. Like, that's the one that, of all these. I like how we're saying it. <laughs> that's the one that I agree with the most. I mean, it, the, Poker Stars doesn't affect us at all. We don't have it here yeah. um, where we're playing. For all those listeners that still have Poker Stars. Yeah. Um, you can let us know what you think of the rake and rewards change. Yeah. I would be grateful that we had those things to argue <laughs> about right now. Um, but uh, the restoration, yeah, I would love to see that go away. I'm, I'm tired of having that hanging over our heads all the time and now with this whole new administration coming in in America you know and he's friends with Sheldon Adelson and all that it's stuff that I just I would rather not have to deal with you know you and I are hoping someday that this regulation in this country and you know to help the, our game and our industry and our magazine flourish and they're constantly hanging over this thing thing over our heads that will you know make that never happen and that's something we don't want well, and I think this ties into something else that he mentioned is the extensive coverage of every online poker bill, which I completely agree with. But I think that that extends to Rawa. I mean, there's been a couple big developments in Rawa since we came up with that term. 
a couple years ago. And that's really it. The rest has all been little tiny stuff that really hasn't moved the story forward. But people, you know, burn their toast over it. Yeah. Um, and same with the online poker bill stuff. You know, I totally agree. I mean, every obviously I'm the one that tries to put together these show notes. And I, you know, I go through all my sources. And like every day there's another story out there by someone about the possibility of online poker in one of the 50 states. And almost always there's no meat to it. It's, you know, some random lawmaker in some county who says he wants to uh, bring online poker to the state. And then all the poker sites pick up on it and go, oh, my gosh, poker's coming to Iowa, when that's absolutely not even true. Yeah. <laughs> One guy saying he wants it to. And, and then what happens is, unfortunately, this, you know, is part of this whole fake news thing that we've been dealing with with this last election is that people just don't read. They read the headline, they say, and if some headline writer says online poker might be coming to Iowa, then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh my God, I can't believe online poker's coming to Iowa. And it's not. <laughs> now some uh, desperate online clickbait journalist is listening to our show is going to pull that one quote out of it where you just said online poker's coming to Iowa and then he's going to write a story on it and then we're going to continue and perpetuate this crap and I said to you before the show which I thought was kind of funny was pokerupdate.com if you go to the site it's literally got tabs and clickbaits on all online poker stories that were so remote from Florida and Pennsylvania and I'm like uh, hello you're telling it to go away and that's what your site thrives on I will I will defend James here a little bit. He said extensive coverage of every online poker, but he didn't say mentioning every <laughs> That's true. Poker. That's it's, true. It's the and the extensive is part of the problem is that when we and you know you and I know this because we came from the same newspaper, that there were tons of stories in the newspaper when we worked there that should have been what we call briefs. Right. Two or three paragraph updates. But they weren't. They were twenty inches that were just regurgitating the 17 inches that have been covered the last three weeks with three inches of new stuff on it. Yeah. new stuff on Yeah. Um, so I think that's the thing here is that we need to have some judgment on when there's a true development in online poker and when there's just a clickbaity development in online poker. Yeah. So if folks are... I mean, we get these emails from our listeners all the time and I'm not trying to discourage that. I want listeners to keep thinking you to send us those links because we actually get a lot of stuff for the show based off of that because we can't see everything everywhere. Um, but uh, I, I do think that some listeners will always wonder why we don't talk more about those developments because they're probably hearing it in their home games and things like that. And generally, I'm not going to put it on the show unless I think it's significant. And most of the stuff is it's, it's just not significant yet. It's just it's something that's out there and if it ball rolls and gathers moss... <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean, we, that's oh, the, the business that we're in, too. As journalists, we'll recognize when stuff actually is getting serious, when there's actually a legitimate chance for it to go before the, you know, the house or whatever the hell you want. There, there's no reason to just put rumors or one sentences that are, you know, just knockoffs that are just everywhere on the internet to put on our show. We got the other things to talk about, and why get everybody all hyped up for something that's never going to happen? Or at least is in the infant stages that, you know, you can't get excited about for another three years anyway. Right. Um, some of this other stuff, I don't really have an opinion on player of the year stuff because, you know, I, I don't think when there's a player of the year system in place for like our tour, it makes sense that you, you know, we, we have it weighted a certain way 
and it's for one thing. These other things where there's high rollers everywhere around the country that can, because there's so much money to get into these high rollers and they're weighted more because of the buy-in and stuff, I really don't know how to how to really react to that that point he's making. Well, I'll say this. Um, our tour, we, we specifically use a rating system that puts the most... Uh, it's more heavily weighted towards field size rather than buy-in. Yeah. Now, obviously, buy-in. The higher the buy-in, the more points it generates. But really, what what gets big points for you on our tour is winning an event with a lot of people. It doesn't matter what the buy-in is. So, um, and I really like that because I think I've always told people this that I think um, obviously you know if you're playing a sit and go with the nine best poker players in the world and you win that, that's an accomplishment. I'm not trying to dismiss it because you only beat eight people. Um, and But when you're you're winning a tournament with 700, 800, 2,000 people, that's that's a pretty big accomplishment, I think, no matter what the strength of the field is, right? Yeah. So I think uh, that's why I really like our system. Now, we did have that one year that we switched over and... Um, had uh, the Hand and Mob system, the Global Poker Index, I mean, <clears throat> uh, which I thought was going to be interesting. But what I found with their system is their system is exactly what, what, what is being complained about here. It's more heavily weighted towards buy-in. And when you weight it more heavily towards buy-in, then it favors the people that can afford those buy-ins. So, you know, I get what he's saying that a, these high roller tournaments, it prices out a whole lot of the poker market, and therefore it, it pretty much prices those poker players out of winning a player of the year title for tours that do that. But you also, you know, the other thing we always got to remember as, as poker consumers is that we can talk with our feet, right? So, yeah. you know, if, if you don't, don't think that you could be competitive in a player of the year race that give really big points for really big buy-in tournaments and you don't play them and you play in another one and then maybe they change it. But, um, I would argue the ones uh, the series that do have it for that, uh, the kind of players that are going to win those player of the years of the year aren't going to be the pros anyhow. So, you know, I don't really know what the complaint is there. You know, if you're a pro, you should be able to put together the scratch to play a high roller tournament. Well, I mean, they're, they're, you're talking about A-list pros then, because it's like there are millions of pros who play for $2 or $5 cash games and make a living at it, and they're not, well, yeah, not going to enter not 25K. traveling pros. I think that's <clears> a right. different class of player than your... Two five grinder who's putting enough food on the table for the family and yeah. versus getting on airplanes and flying around and following stuff. But it's um, pretty remarkable. I was intrigued by his unlimited reentries thing because this is something that the whole poker industry is dealing with right now, um, and we are starting to see some movement on it. We've obviously talked on our show about how um, in our Annie of World Championship. Uh, a couple years ago, it was um, one re-entry um, throughout the series, and that was because um, our poker manager there really wanted it to, every hand to mean something and kind of negate what's going on here, where if you have unlimited rebuys and you're a really rich person, then you're not taking every hand seriously. You're firing and trying to chip up. If you don't, then you know you can just go up to the podium and buy back in and keep firing until you do get a chip, a base stack, right? Right. And then we changed it last year to one re-entry per flight, so now you have more opportunities. Um, but I think it's important for poker players to understand what's going on here. It's the economics of it, is that poker players are demanding bigger prize pools. Um, they're demanding less rake and smaller buy-ins. 
and those things do not work well together. So the way to make those work well together is to allow unlimited re-entries so you can get the, the number of entries in to get that prize pull up higher and um, and make enough money for the casino to, to fund those tournaments. So it, it is really, this is a victim of poker players' wants and needs. Yeah. If you take it away, you can take it away, but you also have to understand as players that you, what, what you're taking away. You're not just taking away the rich guy making seven shots at this tournament that you can only afford one to get into. You're also committing to a smaller prize pool and maybe higher rates. And you got to choose what you want. Right. Um, the, it's it's true about the outcome of these things, um, the unlimited entries, because when we look at um, if if your your mentality is all right, I can't I can't do anything with this stack or I can't do anything with this hand, I'm going to quit basically, and then just get it all in there or whatever you're going to do, and then until you know you. So <clears throat> it reminds me of there's a card game that you play on your iPad or whatever and it's called uh, Spider Solitaire. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right, well there's one suit, two suit, and four suits and I always play the four suits because it's harder um, and my wife loves the game too so she plays on hers and I play on mine and I'll beat the game like once every five or six games or four or five games something like that but when I can tell right away that it's going to be a sucky game I'll just quit it and quit, play another right, one. Sure, no. yeah, right. yeah, but but my wife does not do that. She'll <laughs> she'll play it to the bitter end and she'll like reverse, reverse, reverse and, and try to, you know, go all the way back to the beginning or whatever. <laughs> so she can she tries her hardest to beat one, it'll take her two days sometimes to beat that one game. Yeah. yeah. And I'll I'll say, Well, I've beaten ten beaten it ten times since you've beaten that one. And it's the same thing with this. It's like if you really, really, really knew you had to win this tournament and you couldn't re enter you know, you would give it your all, and everyone around you is giving it their all, and then you'll truly know who the best poker player is or who deserves that victory or whatever. And a lot of people are are getting pissed off because they're doing the hey, the Casenza quit four or five times until you get the perfect setup to beat this tournament or this table or whatever. So I can see the frustration with some of them, but like you said too, there you don't have to enter those tournaments either, you know. Yeah, and I always say that, but um, but there is a point where it becomes so ubiquitous everywhere that it's tough to find a yeah, it's not that doesn't have yeah. I mean, I would say maybe the, the the more frustration I get from any up fans, I think, is the late re-entry, uh, late entry that you know uh, most of our listeners seem to be the type that show up on time and want to play poker, and increasingly poker players are not showing up on time. They're kidding. Yeah, well, I can I can enter through level nine. All right, I'll see you level seven. <laughs> yeah, and it's really frustrating there. But again, those are all operational things that are trying to solve the issues that poker players say they want solved without understanding the collateral damage. Yeah, the ramifications. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing, the rounders two rumors. Yes, I can't get enough of this. I'm sorry. Yes, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna argue with him on this. One. I I love every ounce of rounders, you know, information. Uh, I, I don't care. I'll I'll suck the marrow out of everything I can find, just because it's just it's wishful thinking. It's fun, and whenever I see something though, like if I hear anything or whatever, I go to IMDb. Right, and right. check it out, and then like, yeah, and even IMDb I think still has a Rounders Two thing, and has like, uh, 
projected stars of the sh- you know movie and Worm and Mike are coming back or something. But um, yeah, I I don't I like that that's that's still alive. You know, I don't I don't cause I think it still could happen. I don't think you really need to worry about an audience for it. I think they tie those two names to it. You know, people who love those guys, even if they've never saw Rounders, would go say, "Wow, Rounders too! I better go watch Rounders one, and then it'll spark more interest in it." So, I think that uh, as long as that's still alive, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep reading it. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the stuff I've read hasn't been. Hey, wouldn't it be great if Rounders two was like this? You know, right. that kind of stuff. That right. that I have a limited amount of capacity in my brain for. But but I like the fact that every couple months or so there's a new little tidbit of something thrown out there about what there might be a rounders two coming yeah um you know if it doesn't happen soon pretty soon you know it's going to be uh more like rounders 22 (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be uh you know mike and warren playing in the uh nursing home (laughs) it'll be one of those sequels that don't really call themselves rounders two you'll just be like oh that was a rounder sequel you know because you won't call it that because it'll be so many years ahead of the original, but uh, that was like what ninety eight. When was that made? Yeah, that sounds right. Ninety eight. Yeah, yeah, so we're almost yeah. twenty years away from it. So yeah. Yeah. it has to be some incredible story for them to make it. But I don't know what that story would be. But I don't you know, either. It's, it's nice that people keep uh, keep keep hope alive. Keep hope alive, baby. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. So an interesting list that he came up with, and you don't usually see this kind of a story. You know, stuff that you want to die. Yeah. You know. Um, That's what I said. I mean, you, you got this is a glass half empty. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we could do a seven things that we want to be sure that don't go away in 2017. That's right. That's right. Now, one of them, you noticed right before we did the show that he swapped one of them out, and one of them was uh, was TV. Um, so I had a nice segue, beautiful segue, into our next <laughs> item. That's not completely ruined. So rather than just pretend I didn't have that segue, I'm going to complain about it on the show so everybody knows that I had it. So I get credit for that segue. Yes, we all know you're prepared. <laughs> But uh, we we did allude, uh, allude to this uh, on last week's show, uh, but I wanted to wait to this week because I had a feeling that the story needed to be fleshed out a little bit, and I'm glad we waited. So, uh, Poker Central, uh, Poker's best hope for a 24/7 television network, has announced it's ceasing its TV operations on December 31st, but will continue to produce programming available for streaming on the internet. And I think that but's important because some of the headlines last week, right before we got on the on the air. Where the Poker Central's folding. Right. Poker Central quits. It's done. And it's not. It's just changing. And it, what it realized is that this TV model is just not going to work for it. But that there is an interest in original programming um, and they can reach those players uh, or those people that want to watch it via streaming on the internet without the the cost and the hassles of a television apparatus, which I kind of thought would probably happen anyhow. So, I mean, the world's going that way, right? Yeah, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. uh, Oh, come on. You know you love it. Well, no, I don't. Not when it comes to our industry. I don't want to be negative in our industry. But I'm just curious your thoughts about don't things usually end up dying when they do this kind of thing? Like when magazines go strictly digital and then all of a sudden they fade away and then, you know, new... TV shows that will now going to be picked up on a lesser network, and then from a lesser network to the internet, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're just gone. I so. mean, a lot of it depends on the audience and how committed they are to it. I mean, if you take my favorite show, let's let's just say Survivor. It's a show that we both watch, right? Yes. We both still love it a lot, right? Yes. So if for whatever strange reason CBS decided not to air it anymore, and 
some website picked it up and continued to produce it, we're invested enough that we probably will make that uh, follow it, right? Yeah. We may not like it because it's harder. I mean, I, I'm one of these people that there's a lot of great shows that will be street on streaming services, Netflix and Amazon, and what I hate about it is I'm old. I need to be reminded. I need to turn that TV on, turn my DVR on. Oh, yeah, I've got four uh, episodes of uh, Survivor to catch up on. All right. Right. Where the streaming, I don't have that reminder, you know. So I got to remember in my head, and then then I go out with friends and I'm like, "Oh, you got to watch The Crown, or you got to watch Walking Dead," and I'm like, "I can't remember all this." Right. So that's kind of the problem. But if you have the audience that's, that that's committed enough to remember it and make their post-it notes or their Google Calendar reminders to find it, then then you'll still get that audience, and you're going to pick up new people that you know. There's, I mean, there's a whole generation of people that don't even know what a TV is. It looks like. Right. Yeah. They've always streamed everything on their phones or their laptops. So I mean, the, the fact that, in fact, if you ask them, "Hey, poker was trying to get a television network together," it, it's almost like you, you're alien talking to them. <laughs> Why create a television network? You just put it on the web, and people watch it. And I get that. So, um, and it's the same thing with, with what you mentioned with news and stuff. So if we were ever to fold the magazine and go online. Yes, the, there, there's a reason we're not doing it because it's harder to keep that audience. Um, but if we ever were to do it, it would be because we figured out a way to keep the audience and right. grow it there. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, this is not a good development, I think, for that because, you know, there's, there's also my problem with news or anything on the internet is you lose the browsing ability, right? Yeah. The reason I get up every morning and still walk out to the driveway and pick up my two newspapers and read it is because I like to know everything that's going on. So I like the fact that there were journalists last night that stayed up late and curated all the stuff that happened in the world and told me, here's the most important stuff, and I got to read it, and I'm going to read this. Obviously, there's a story about the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to read it because that's what I'm interested in, but I also might find a story about fluoride and drinking water that I never find on the internet, right? Right. Um, and it's the same with, with this programming, too. So the, the problem with it streaming on the Internet now is it's only going to be poker players. It's only going to be people that know that it's there and want to watch it. They're going to watch it, and that's fine. But with a TV network, you know, again, us old people with the clicker, you know, there'll be times I'll get done with work every day, get on the couch, and I'll just scroll all 300 of my channels on DirecTV looking for something. And I might find, hey, wow, there's a documentary I didn't even know about. I'm going to watch that. Like this Lizzie Borden one. You know who Lizzie Borden is? I know who Lizzie Borden is, but I didn't see the documentary. Yeah, so I, I, I toured the house this last year when I was up uh, for our Annie Up uh, poker tour event up in Mohegan Sun. It's in uh, Fall River, Massachusetts, and it's a bed and breakfast now. They're really cool, so you can actually sleep in the rooms that everybody got hacked in. Kind of <laughs> but, uh, but again, a fantastic tour from the tour guide there. And they took a picture of me on the, the couch where the one guy died, except it wasn't the real couch. It's a, you know, replica. But still, right, right. really cool. And I knew nothing about Lucy Borden then other than just I heard the name, right? So then I became a massive fan. So there, I was flipping the internet on the channels, and what do you know? There's a Lucy Borden documentary that had, uh, remember Tom Lang, the uh, detective from the OJ case? Yeah. And some other guy. And they, they retried the case. And I only got halfway through it now, so I can't tell you what happened yet. But No. But that's a show that I wouldn't have found had I not been browsing on TV channels. That's my point. So when we go back to all the things we're talking about poker and, and this next boom, whatever you want to call it, I think we agree there's not going to be another boom, maybe another boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's going to come from getting people who aren't in the poker world back in the poker world. And that's where you lose here is the television. You're going to lose people that are flipping channels. Oh, hey, what's this poker show on Poker Central? And watch it, and then they get interested. They're not going to find this content streaming on the Internet, I don't think. Right. Yeah, that's that was my point, was I just felt like it's it's a downward thing. And even though it's not completely bad news, it just doesn't seem like that's going to be as successful as it would be if it was getting a national audience that in, in, has Gen Xers and Millennials turning on the television if they want to turn on television. And I don't know. But hoping the best. I really do. Uh, any updates? You only have a few days left to book our March 20th Annie Poker Cruise at our guaranteed rates. After January 2nd, we can no longer guarantee the rates or the availability of our cabins. We have six wonderful Annie Up Poker Cruises on the schedule now, including a 14-night transatlantic to Barcelona, a weekend warrior cruise, a summer cruise, and many more. Get all details, including how you can win your way on board at AnnieUpCruises.com. All passengers will get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by the PokerDepot.com and a quick reference poker odds card from the GamblingSchool.com. Okay, you want a lot of people to go to the Transatlantic Sky? I'm going to tell them that I'm going on the cruise with you. Oh, you're officially going now. We're officially going. So, uh, we had the big reveal over Christmas. Yeah, we had the big reveal over Christmas, told the wife we're going to go, and we're going to spend some time in uh, Portugal afterward. And right. So, yeah, so yeah. we're going to go. Now, everyone expect just the flood Annie Up's uh, hotline for <laughs> for I'm not entirely cruises. sure whether being on a ship with Chris Cassenza for 14 nights <laughs> is a... Positive or a negative, but easy we'll money. Out there, we'll, we'll see what happens. Easy money, right? <laughs> hey, don't no, forget. Looking forward to having. You yeah, don't forget that while the official day for our restock the shelves charity food bank initiative with Blue Shark Optics is January sixteenth, many rooms are doing events on other days or running donation promotions every day leading up to their restock event, including Tampa Bay Downs, where you'll get one raffle ticket for an Annie Pogo Cruise drawing for every food item that you donate now through January sixteenth. For more information, visit anyupmagazine.com slash freestock. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at anyupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Wes Worthley. Says, I have a Question related to the appropriateness of a dealer explaining the thinking of a player. Recently at my little casino, I was playing at a $2, $10 spread limit game. I was short stacked and had Jack-10 suited and got it all in after the flop came 9-8 tray rainbow. The turn was a blank and the river was a jack. I ended up winning the pot with my paired jacks, but another player asked why I would go all in with jack high after the flop. I just gave the player a smile, but the dealer stepped in to say that I was open-ended after the flop. My concern here is that I had an advantage over that player in knowing they misread the possible hands, but that was taken away by the dealer explaining my thinking. I didn't bring up the issue at the time, but was wondering, should I have addressed this with the dealer? Should I have called the floor? Is there a chance to have the dealer moved from the ta- move from the table? Should I have requested a table change to avoid this dealer helping other players? Well, let's take the easy ones at the bottom. Uh, one, a table change is not going to avoid this because the dealers moves. Move. Yeah. <laughs> so you're eventually going to get the same dealer. Right. Uh, there's a chance you will. So um, that that's not a good solution to the problem. And uh, having a dealer move from the table, one, that's <clears> never going to happen. Um, and two, again, it doesn't solve the problem because 
you know, I, I, I guess it, if you find some floor that's like wants to help you partake in this fantasy and then they just out of the rotation never come to that table, then they're not going to. But they're, they're still going to be moving around. So let's just forget those two things. Um, but but I do think you are uh, right to point it out to the dealer. And, and what I suggested, and I've done this before, uh, not a lot, but there's been a couple times that dealers have, have made comments similar to this that I thought were inappropriate for the dealer to make. Um, and in every case... I don't think they meant it to be malicious or anything like that. I think they just didn't think through what they were saying, right? Right. Or it's a friendly game and people have conversations and, you know, they point it out and that, without thinking about the the kind of stuff that Wes is thinking about here. Um, I don't like to embarrass uh, dealers at the table when they do that. Um, so what I do is I wait for the, um, the push to come and, you know, if I'm not in the hand... I will kind of follow the ta- dealer to the next table and just quietly mention to him, like, hey, you know, I'm not a big deal, but, you know, I would prefer if you didn't mention strat- my strategy out loud at a table. I just, you know, I, I have an advantage and you gave it up uh, by mentioning it. And you can be nicer about it. You can say, hey, I'm sure you didn't mean to it, but just keep that in mind next time you, you try to help someone that you're actually hurting a player that actually is more skilled. I agree. I think that I takes agree. care of ninety percent of this, doesn't and it? And that's not. Yeah, and that's never happened to me before. I mean, I, you know, I, th- these a lot of the dealers feel a need to be social, or they feel a need to need to please people, you know, because they want to get a tip, or they just want to make it a good environment. They want to be a good dealer, and then sometimes they overstep their bounds, not realizing, you know, I shouldn't have said anything there. And and Scott's way of handling it is absolutely the right way. If you're going to have to do that, get up and follow them over to the toes. Hey, hang on a second. Hey, just not a big deal, but. Listen, the guy had no clue what was going on, and I, I'm, you know, I had that advantage on him. And he just gave it away, and he's like, he then he'll understand, and maybe stop doing it. You know, I think that was the right way to handle it. Yeah, the dealer says, hey, "Screw you, whatever, <laughs> poker." Now I have no problem going to the floor and saying, explaining to it, and saying, "Hey, I was polite and waited till they got up to the table not to make a scene, and I mentioned it to them, and they don't seem to understand or care." Um, you might want to follow up with them. And then it's up to the floor at that point whether they want to follow up with them or not. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but I, I think that's the appropriate way of dealing with it. And, and I should say, too, I mean, obviously I, I'm probably too nice in some scenarios. So, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't a – this this was kind of a benign one, right? Yeah. But it's possible that the dealer actually made a pretty big <laughs> startling comment uh, particularly if it's in a tournament at a particular stage of it, that is a big deal. So I'm not suggesting that you taper down your um, your comments to them, but you know, just be professional about it. Um, and particularly if it's a bigger deal, I would make sure they knew it's a bigger deal uh, and explain to them. And, but again, I don't think there's a lot of dealers that are out there that in a in a tipping industry, right? Who are purposely trying to upset their players? So if you calmly mention it to them and give them to understand, I think that a good dealer is going to be mortified that they didn't think about it before they said it. They're certainly going to be apologetic, and they're certainly going to think about that in the future. And hopefully, it won't happen again. I uh, I agree. You know what else is very exciting here is that we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Yes, very exciting. I always love that right before the new year. So here we go. Here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a two-table, $50 buy-in sit-and-go. The tournament is winding down with the payout structure at 450 
250, 150, 50. We're down to five-handed. There is one player with about half of the chips in play, while the rest of us have about an average of 20 big blinds. We're at the 250, 500, 50 level, and with a stack of 11,250, we look down at the nine of spades, nine of hearts. Okay, so that isn't awful. With four players sitting at an average of about 20 big blinds, we're going to put the pressure on. Sure, it'd be nice to burst the bubble and get at least our money back, but we're here to position ourselves for victory. The average raise has been to about 2.5x, so we are careful not to step too far out of line and make it 12.50 to go from the under the gun. The plus one folds, but the button makes the call. Interesting. The button has been in panic mode since he lost a cooler of a hand and let go of the chip lead about 30 minutes ago. He lost two other pots and currently sits with about 12k. Interesting that he's just going to call here. The last two open raisers before him were met with shoves by him. The blinds both fold. With 3,500 units in the pot, the flop is a relatively safe queen of hearts, tray of spades, tray of clubs. Since we were the pre-flop aggressor, we're going to continue with the aggressive line in this hand. We do have a made hand with only one overcard to our two pair. There's a chance we're good here, and if not, we might be able to get a hand like ace-king out. We make it 2,000 to go. After a bit of thinking, our opponent shoves his remaining stack into the middle. So, the pot has ballooned to 13.5k. If we fold, we sit with an M of 8. What are we doing here? Alright, the fact that this player had shoved pre-flop twice before and got burned and now just called kind of gives me the spooks. Uh, that sounds like someone who didn't want to get bitten again until he saw a flop he liked. Um, and I think he likes the queen on this flop. Um, so based on that, I'm going to fold, knowing that I still have some chips to play with. Uh, I really think we're ahead, uh, and I'm going to call. I, I feel like he thinks we missed, and it was sort of one of those weird stop-and-goes, except mm-hmm. you know, maybe in reverse, I don't know. But anyway, it just feels like he didn't. He got burned before by just getting it all in. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now he's saying, all right, here's a flop that he, I'm going to count on this guy missing a flop and me just shoving. And I don't think we need to hit the flop. And the odds of him hitting that queen, you know what I mean? Why would he shove now if he hit the queen? So I feel like we're ahead. I feel like I'm going to make a call here and and, uh, and deal with the consequences. Deal with the consequences. All right. Here comes part two. Hello again. What's this guy's angle? Is he still tilting? Why did he just call our raise after shoving the last two times it was raised before him? Could he have a queen here? The only ones that make sense would be ace-queen or king-queen, and I really think he would have shoved to our raise preflop. I'm not so sure this could be a three, or even really ace-king. I've got to tell you, I have no idea what this guy could be holding. There's nothing that really makes sense for him to just call preflop and then shove on this flop. Something feels off here. He's telling a story that doesn't make sense. This might be a gamble, but I'm going to guess he has air. We call. Our opponent sheepishly turns over the eight of clubs, seven of clubs, as we table our nines. We're sitting pretty to double up and all but secure a money finish. Just got to dodge a runner-runner situation. The turn is the sheesh, five of clubs. Not too crazy about that card. It turns out this was one of those times where our gut tells us the river before our eyes even see it. The king of clubs gives our opponent a rivered flush and we're sent packing. As we shake his hand, he tells us he thinks we made a mistake. He said he was representing the queen. Maybe we did, but I'm still sticking to my play. 
Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes you can make the right read, a great call, and still get burned. I hope to see you on the felt. All right, I wouldn't say we made a mistake, as our opponent says, uh, because I think it probably was a 50-50 decision here. Uh, but I will say that when our analysis tells us that we have no idea what our opponent has, to me that's usually an indication that we need to pick a better spot to take a stand. Yeah, I like the call. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were so far ahead that we could see this guy in a rearview mirror, you know what I mean? And then he went runner-runner to squeak out this baby flush that he was just bluffing the whole way. Um, and here's my reasoning. If 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 he had his cards face up, right, we would have made this call. So that's how I know oh, it's yeah. I, I'm I'm happy thing, with the standing the up. The argument is that he didn't have his hand face up, and we had absolutely according. And now we, I'm, I'm in O'Malley's mind now, right? Right. O'Malley had absolutely no idea what this guy had. That's the danger, I think. I think we had enough money invested in this, and enough. Feel in my in my mind the way this guy played because he gave us that information that the guy had shoved before and got burned and just shoves now for I mean for for no reason um, other than to think that we missed and it's like I just don't think this guy if he, he either has a queen or he doesn't like you said that's the fifty fifty part of it but it just felt fishy to me and I don't know I just to me it felt like. It was a pretty good flop for nines. And if I thought I was ahead pre-flop, then I think I'm ahead now. If the guy had queens, why wouldn't he just try to extract more money out of us instead of just shoving for another eight grand or whatever it is? Um, but I think you, you have a better, or at least you're more confident in your read than it sounded like O'Malley was. I yeah, I was. Point, yeah, I was more confident. That, I mean, we could debate whether he should have been more confident in, in his read or not. That's another issue. But we're basing this off of his read and his explanation, and he wasn't confident at all at what we had. And so my, I guess my point to players is, is that when you have absolutely no idea where you are, this is a scenario where I think it's tough to just say, ah, whatever, I'll throw it in and hope for the best. You know, we're early in the tournament, and it's a 200-unit pot or something crazy like that. Eh, well, all day long. But we're on the money bubble here, and it's hit and go. Um, and I think I, I don't want to be making decisions for all my chips when I, I, I am as lost as O'Malley seemed to be in this hand. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that means that you need to get unlost. I mean, there's a case to be made for that, right? Is that if you really don't know where the guy is, maybe you take a few more minutes and try to figure out where he is. You know, maybe you missed some information or maybe you need to do better probabilities of the type of hands you could have and then get a clear idea. But... If you're if you're at that point saying I have absolutely no idea what he has and you shove your chips in, I just think that's going to be a mistake, regardless of what the result ended up being. Yeah, see, I I approach O'Malley's move differently than hand of the week. You know, hand of the week, I'm putting myself in the this the feet of the in the shoes of the of the person sending us the hand of the week, whereas O'Malley's move, it's a little different because you get one part. You get the second part, it's over. Hand of the week, I'm going through every single movement with them, and I can do that. In this one, I feel like it's how am I going to play this, and I get to deal with how I played it. Whereas the hand of the week, it's like every single time you read something to me, the situation changes, and i got to start all over again. and be So with O'Malley's move, I really just felt like from what he told me, 
in part one, I just felt like in my situation, in my playing experience, that I'm calling here because we're ahead. I feel like we're ahead, and I feel like this guy is just trying to move us off this hand because he thinks we missed, because he thinks we're just doing a C-bet. And it just felt like that to me because he was frustrated earlier from his shoves and not working out. So that was my thinking of it. Whereas in the hand of the week, I have to keep adjusting every time something comes up and resetting the clock kind of thing. Um, and I can't do that with O'Malley's move. I just think, hey, it's a one-time shot, right or wrong, after we go to part two. And that's that's how I felt about it. So I, I don't know. I still like the call. I do. I like the call. I felt like the, he had enough information because he gave it to us that I know he felt confused in this, but to me, I think he had enough information to make the right call, and he did. He called. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's kind of the point I, I made right before that is is you were able to analyze the information in a way that he wasn't at the point at that point, and that's fine. So, I mean, if you got if he was able to get to where you got, that's a different story than what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. All right. But hey, whatever. <laughs> we lost the hand. So. <laughs> we lost, but we made the made the right call and had the wrong outcome. <laughs> All right, it's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. A uh, long-time listener, first-time contributor, Vic G. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, Vic uh, keeps, our, keeps our show in business, and we appreciate it. It's the Vic G Hand of the Week. <laughs> and uh, All right, so this week he says, I'm playing in a home game. We alternate games, playing a round of Nolim and Hold'em and a round of PLO. This is the PLO round with $1, $2 blinds. It's late in the game, and we're down to six-handed play. I'm in the small blind at seat one and sit with squiggly 750 Skittles, uh, down 150 for the night. There have been no pots over 300 all night long. That's hard to believe in a PLO game, right? Wow. Uh, and no three bets pre-flop in the PLO rounds. That's also hard to believe. Um, although a pot size raised pre-flop will still see most of the limpers call. Players in seats two, three, and four have been playing fairly tight all night. I'm going to argue everybody's been playing fairly tight yeah. all night. Uh, Joe is in seat five. He's in his 80s, likes to see flops, and only raises with strong hands. He'll walk the dog whenever he has the opportunity, and he sits with $375. On the button seat six is our old friend Bobby, the southern preacher biker dude, resembles Jesus in a leather jacket. Uh, from the February 6, 2015 podcast, for those super fans that have that kind of recall. Uh, you'll recall that Bobby could be spewing, making big bets, or raising recklessly withdrawals. Uh, seat three puts out a five-dollar live straddle. Seat four folds. Joe raises to twelve. Bobby calls to twelve, and we look down at the king of clubs, king of hearts, ten of hearts, tray of hearts in the small blind. With thirty-two dollars in the pot and two players yet to act, it's eleven dollars more to call. What's the move? All right, it was King of Clubs, King of Hearts, Ten of Hearts, Three of Hearts. Is that right? Yep. Three Hearts. Three Hearts, okay. Harry Kings. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> uh, he's not going to like this. Um, You're folding right with me. I'm right? probably folding, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you might be able to talk me into a call just because we got a royal flush draw in there and some Broadway cards, and obviously if we hit our king, it's probably going to be good because there's only one set that could be better than us. Um, but that, that tray is our classic orphan. Yeah. doesn't help our hand at all. And it hurts, and actually. It hurts the hearts. Hurts, actually, yes. So, I mean, uh, I was looking more of it from the royal flush, but yeah, it makes it harder for us to get a flush, which actually probably helps in some sense because we don't want to you know, we lose a lot of money with the king high flush. Um, when somebody else almost always has the ace high flush. Um, 
uh, there's not a lot for me to like here, and we've got a raise and a couple callers, and and we're in the worst position in the game where you absolutely don't want to be in the worst position. Pilo is so hard to play from the small blind. Yeah. The other thing, too, is let's just say we happen to hit the ace of hearts, five of hearts, and seven of hearts on the flop or something. Well, okay, you've made your nut flush, but somebody who only raises with strong hands raised on this hand, which a lot of times means aces, which means now he's hit a set of aces. Now you're going to have to dodge the 10 outs or whatever it is twice in Omaha, and you're out of position. So even if you make your bet that you want to bet, you know, somebody could simply just call. But you could bet pot, you know, 20, 30 bucks. When guys have 300 in front of them, that's not going to stop them from calling to make their, you know, their boat on the turn of the river. So it, it's a difficult situation you're in, even if you make your ace high flush. And if you don't make your ace high flush, then you only make a king high flush. Well, then you've got second best hand. That's the biggest rule in, in this game is to not make the second best hand in Omaha. So, because almost always the best hand is out. So, Really, I do look down at kings, and I hate kings. Unless they're completely paired with quality cards that complement four ways or whatever, I'm just I'm getting out of this hand. And we have a raise from a strong player and a reckless player playing along. You know, we're in, and we're in the middle out of position with a really, really nominal hand. Uh, I'm just going to fold it, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's so much. All right, well, that's no fun, so let's see what Vic does. He says, uh, we have a nice pair of kings with a second nut. Hearts, not a great hand, but a call is sure to bring along the big blind and straddler. Kings might be best, though Joe's raise is bothersome. We decide to three-bet and make it 45 to go. Seats two and three fold, and Joe and Bobby make the call. Wow. Well, I think the three-bet is wise in that he would find out right away if somebody had aces. I think I think if I were Joe and I had aces and he opened up the betting to me again after I already made it 11 or whatever it was and I had aces I'm going to I'm going to pop it again on him make it like 200 and see if he really wants to go to the mat with you know if he turns over the same pair of aces or whatever then you know we say hey let's just chop it now or something and avoid a bad beat or something but other than that you know and you're just opening up the betting again for the guy who only raises with strong hands so and he got lucky that it didn't work out that way. So now he gets to go to a flop with a pretty decent pot already out there, which is another thing I don't want to do. I don't want to play out of position against strong players and or at least strong hands and a reckless player, you know, who was just now you could just tell one of these guys is just calling with something like, you know, Jack 10, 4, 5 or something, you know, suited. They're just trying to bust somebody to get back to even. Um but I mean, I like the three bet in the sense that you're going to find out probably right away if somebody has the aces that are better than your kings. But you only have kings, you know. what I mean, you only have kings, and now you're out of yeah, position. Yeah, and that's really the only information I think that's going to be helpful for us to get. And that's weird. I don't know if I want a three bet just to get four bet and then know that I'm beat. <laughs> right. Or not beat, but at least I I know what I need to hit. Right. Yeah. So the problem I think with it, we're in the small blind, and it's a terrible. It is the absolute worst spot to be in the in the game that you do not want to be in it. Um, so now we've opened up the betting again. You know, if we get a re-raise, then we're in trouble. But even if we don't, even if we get a, a couple callers, then, you know, the onus is on us, the rest of this hand, to be pushing the action. And I'm never going to be too confident with my hand unless, of course, I get the miracle flop of, um, you know, three hearts. Um, or Broadway or something like that. 
Um, and the other thing I thought was interesting about it was he said, uh, let's see, um, but call is sure to bring along the big blind and straddler. I kind of like that. I kind of want that. He seems to not want that. I think he's putting too much faith in the Kings and not the rest of the hand. You know, he's got a flush draw here. He's got a Broadway draw. And then the Kings are there as well, too. I almost think with that many people in, I, I'm almost turning this into a, a, a stackable hand, you know, where hopefully I flop big and there's a bunch of people in there I'm going to get paid off. Um, right, because you're hoping to hit the draws with this hand. He's thinking, it seems like, exactly. he's thinking that think Kings thinking are the... Differently. Yeah, and I'm not playing it like a Hold'em hand. I'm playing it like a Omaha hand where I'm hoping to hit draws and or redraw, you know? Right, right. <clears throat> um, well, all right, so there's there's like 150 in this pot now. So it's, I mean, it's it's on now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's going to be some big bets now. Yeah, so it's uh, 142 in the pots, and the flop is the deuce of clubs, tray of clubs, tray of diamonds. Didn't see that coming. Wow. We're first to act, and now I'm kind of liking that we raised. So good job, Rick. <laughs> wow. Um, well, we three bet, so we might sell it as aces here or whatever, because that's why we three bet. Um, in their minds, so yeah, we got to bet. Definitely betting. Yeah, and I'm hoping to get raised by someone who thinks that we're just c betting here. The problem is if somebody has ace tray in their hand, a well, suited ace tray. Well, yeah. we are playing PLO, not PLO eight. We're playing PLO eight. This is actually a very good point. Right. PLO eight. I'm always scared about these hands in PLO eight because people are, there's an incentive obviously to play deuces and trays in that game that there aren't in PLO. Right. So I'm always going to be cautious, and particularly when they're paired with an ace. So if I've got the same hand in PLO 8, I am uh, check-calling this, probably. And maybe even folding at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you wait to see at least a turn to see if one of your other cards pairs it, and then you got threes full of that card, and you're probably golden. But if In this game, just... I'm not too worried about it, because <clears throat> Trey's Rome was always worthless in this game, unless, in, in PLO, unless they're paired with something else. Right, if it's suited with an ace... Then it's like, all right, then it's now, got it some... paired with the deuce, right. which would make sense, so I would be worried about that. But that's the case, then we still have two more cards that we can hit to improve on. But but regardless, I mean, this, this is a nice flop for us, and it's well-disguised, I think. And, uh, you know, I might even bet pretty big here just to make it seem like I want to protect my hands. Exactly. You, you want to play this hand exactly the way you wanted them to think. You know what I mean? In other words, in the pre-flop, and you made that three-bet, they clearly are thinking you have a big hand, like aces, um, a suited aces or something. So, because it came two clubs, too, you know, you got some protection to put out there as well. So, I mean, I'm going to bet, I'm probably going to bet 100. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, 100. Just a nice even bet. It's about two-thirds of the pot. Yeah. Makes it look like, you know, <clears throat> you want this pot now. And I'm not really opposed to that either, but... Um, I would like to somebody to think that we're um, weaker than we really are here and pop us. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet big. So 100s enough, I think, in this hand. All right, uh, Vic says I wasn't planning on using that tray of hearts, uh, but somehow this is how PLO seems to work out. It's unlikely that either of my opponents holds the case uh, tray of spades. They have to put me on a big pocket pair with either suited or straight cards that have three bet preflop. I would continuation bet here anyway. So checking or check raising would look suspicious. The pot's one of the largest of the night, so a bet of one twenty should do the trick. 
After some thinking, Joe calls. Uh, from his body language, I think if Joe folded, then Bobby would have folded as well. But since Joe called, Bobby comes along for 120 as well. Jeez. Squiggly 500 in the pot. The turn is the seven of hearts, making the board deuce of clubs, tray of clubs, tray of diamonds, seven of hearts. And action back on us. Uh, well, I don't think that seven really changed anything. They can't, other than them having pocket sevens. Um, the calls are interesting. Seems like a flush draw now might be coming out of this. Someone with aces might be not believing us. Um, yeah, it's probably at least one, if not two, flush draws. So at yeah. this point, I think you know we got to put an end to this. I think. And I mean, what do you bet? Two fifty, three hundred. Well, what do we had left? We had. Uh, <coughs> we started with seven fifty, so we got a lot of money. But yeah, the effective stacks are. Let's see, Joe had three seventy five. We actually don't know what Bobby had. So all right, so you take forty five off of his three seventy five, right? So and then one hundred twenty. This is one sixty. So, so. You, you effectively are putting him all in. So I think that bet. Yeah, without knowing what the what the other guy had, that's I think that's what makes this easier. We just put them all in. And yeah, one sixty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. All right. Now, of course, we don't know whether that put the other guy. In or right. Not, but I guess we'll find out here. Right. Um, he says uh, both players had called the one hundred twenty dollars flop bet. What can they have? I still put Joe on pocket aces. He probably thinks my one twenty was just a c bet and is walking the dog. I put Bobby on some sort of an odd draw, especially since it looked like uh, it looked as if he was going to fold if Joe didn't call the one twenty. In both cases, the seven of heart should be a blank. I'd like to take the pot down right now and announce pots. I slide out five hundred and tell the dealer we'll count the pot if anyone calls. Joe quickly folds, but after taking tanking for a bit, Bobby announces call and tables his hand, even though we both have chips behind. <laughs> he shows the six of hearts, five of clubs, four of clubs, deuce of diamonds for 18 outs. 11 straights, five flushes, and two straight flushes. Oh, man. That's, that's not good for us. <laughs> Uh, the river is the five of hearts, giving Bobby the seven high straight. Uh, there's no betting on the river, and he wins a monster pot. When I got home, I ran the numbers from my hand versus Bobby's. Pre-flop, I was a 56.5% favorite and ahead when I raised to 45. On the flop, I was a 42.4% dog and ahead when I bet 120. Turn, I was 55% favorite and ahead when I bet 500. I'm new to PLO, but are you ever folding Bobby's hand once you see that flop? Even with a paired board, I bet at um, I bet at or about pot on every street. Not sure what else I could have done, especially since I hadn't beat on every street into the river. Even if he just put me on an over pair, I was still ahead until the river. Was Bobby spewy here, or did he play the hand correctly? And how would you have played this hand? And would you have called my turn bet? See, that's the thing. It's the fact that the other guy came along is what got Bobby in this hand. And then once the money was out there, that's the other thing about that three bet, pre-flop. You know, if it's just $20 in the pot, maybe Bobby says, "Uh, there's not enough money in this hand for me to get even. I mean, I know he's reckless, but, you know, maybe he's like, eh, whatever, and he folds pre-flop. I I don't know. I'm not pre-flop after that flop, but maybe not. I guess not. There's too many... Too many, he's got a wicked what they call the nuclear wrap and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I so mean, maybe you can't get rid of him. I guess. Hand to get rid yeah. of him. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. I'm not too worried about the board pairing on that because we have a deuce in our hand, right? No, we have a tray. 
Oh, that no, guy? Oh, that guy. Bobby. Yeah, Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're talking about Bobby now. Yeah, we right. We don't care about Vic anymore. Um, Bobby has a deuce in his hand, so that's one less likely there. Um, the seven would almost have to be, a, you know, again, a, a player playing an orphan with a tray in his hand. So I do tend to agree that that's probably a blank there. I mean, although you got the pocket seven possibility that makes a little bit more sense. Um, but you got so many outs there. And, again, the way Vic played it, uh, which we thought was good at that point, other than not folding pre-flop. <laughs> but, um, you know, his seabed looked like he was trying to, to drive you out of the pot. And so I think that's one of those things where, um, although we probably had the right odds with all the uh, how hands we had there, um, although I think a lot of our straights came on the turn. But anyhow, um, we had a lot of implied odds in this hand, I think. And I certainly wasn't going to fold for the, the flop bet. Um, now, when you go all in at that point, I mean, geez, you got again eighteen outs. That's a lot. Yeah, and it's now, a, like obviously some of them you can't count on being good either. You know, it's possible that Vic had clubs as well too, right? As a backup, and then that kills their clubs other than your straight flush clubs. But um, I mean, I guess I can lay that down, but. Because at that point, you don't have any more implied odds. The betting's really done. It sounds like they have some chips left over, but not a lot. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if I can get rid of that hand either. It, the thing about the paired board is, like you said, it is safe to assume that Vic didn't have, you know, tray tray or pocket deuces or deuce tray in his hand. Um, and then maybe 7-7 seven, seven in his hand is, is kind of, you know... Even then, he still had outs to a straight flush. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he yeah. was wrong on the boat, but... Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. Um, he's definitely reckless. You know, even the, the eleven dollar call. You know, I mean, I don't know if I call eleven dollars with that hand. I just say, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I could go big with that if I get someone to go with aces on me or something. Well, the good thing about this hand preflop <clears throat> is people don't in PLO tend not to play low cards. So, right. If if you get a flop with low cards, you know it's going to connect with your hand in some way. You know, either you get two pair, or you got a straight, or you got a straight draw, um, and you also can assume that it's less likely that other players have hit that as well too. And because it's low, players like Vic with big pairs in their hand might feel a little bit more emboldened to stay in the hand. So uh, I, I don't fault the uh, the eleven dollar call on this hand. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, um, certainly, certainly, I think it was a better call than Vic's call. Vic's uh, three bet. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Hey, everybody, stay safe this weekend, and uh, we'll see you next year, right? Absolutely. I'm, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206 338 6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.